because the audio is the only thing that gets saved, I get to deal with the fact that I have just like this incredibly terrible lighting. Like, I look like I'm in a Dracula movie or something. Like, <laughs> well, you could say you have a face for podcasting. That. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Slums Cast. As always, I am your co-host, Neuropancer, currently banned from Netrunner for designing cars that created a recursive loop. And I am your other co-host, Orbital Tangent, a.k.a. Josh, still Netrunner's okayest player. It is amazing that you've managed to hold on to that through all of these episodes. As I told you, Pants, the people want consistency. If I can't be consistent, what else can I be? Apparently, you can be okay. But thankfully, we don't have to choose. Thankfully, you're both okay and consistent. For those of you who aren't familiar, this is a podcast about genuinely trying and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. This podcast will not make you better at Netrunner, and it also will not make you a better person. We begin, as always, with the intro question, and actually, we're going to hold off on the intro question until just a little bit later. Instead, I think it's time for us to get straight into the Beef Zone. The Beef Zone, as always, is a segment where we ask one simple question. Which would win in a fight? For the first time in Beef Zone history, we have three combatants this week, Josh. Really? Tell me more. It is a melee a trois, or, oh god. Oh god. Let's move away from that as fast as possible. Which would win in a fight? Splashing Adam cards? Splashing Sunny cards? Or splashing Apex cards? Who are you taking, Josh? Well, you know, Pants, as much as I would like to answer this question, there is someone who could possibly answer this question better than we could. I feel that we could only do okay. Really? Okay, that's that's fair. Yeah, we probably could only do okay on this. And you're right. We do have someone here who can answer that question better than us. Would you like to introduce yourself for the Slums cast? Uh, Hi, Matt. This is Limes, or Rich, and I relatively recently won Worlds. Okay, I would say that gives you a pretty strong claim to being able to answer a Netrunner question like this. Awesome. Yeah, I have to go into the Apex camp, I think. Apex is is clearly the best mini faction. Excellent. Okay, so we'll talk about the decks a little bit more later, but I think we need to dive into it right now. I think a lot of times when people hear importing Apex influence, what they're thinking is, oh, you're splashing probably three, maybe two, maybe one Apocalypse, or you're a degenerate dice player and you're on three Wastelands, or you're a degenerate pawn shop player and you're on three Harbinger. What Apex influence are you thinking when you're thinking importing Apex influence? So I use Consume in my deck, which worked out pretty well, actually. Consume is, as it turns out, a reasonably good card for money and things. We have to note for the listeners that Consume is a five influence card. God, yes, it is. That's one, two, three, four, five influence. Count them. And Limes, can you tell the listeners how many Consumes you played in your deck? I put two in, so that's, you know, a good two thirds of the influence that was available there. I did try it with sort of, you know, just using less in some sort of testing. Tried a variant where I used a couple of SMCs over one of them. But I kind of just settled on using the two, really. It's pretty good if you can get both out, although that quite rarely happens. You can find them in about the sort of time you want to find at least one of them. And yeah, I don't know. I quite like decks that sort of have two obs and three obs. I don't like having too many one obs in there because it feels quite fragile. Not very good at protecting myself against losing key pieces like that. Until you brought that up, literally never thought of the fact that you could have two consumes in play. A supernova went off in my brain. 
you know, it doesn't cost any memory. Yeah, you can just kind of stick them in there. That's amazing. It must be so sad to be an asset spammer. You know, like I, I installed <laughs> my team sponsorship. I spent an entire click and an entire credit on this thing. And you just go out there and you trash it and you gain four credits. <laughs> Woof. It seems pretty good, though. I love that. It's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, you, you get more as well if you've got Friday chips out as well. So yeah. This sounds wonderful. So then we know you spent 10 of your influence on just two Apex cards. So that means that you're you're basically a monocolor deck, so to speak. So what faction and what ID? And can you sort of give us some insight on why the consume influence was the best put in this? I knew I wanted to be sort of trashing a lot of things, you know, with the imps that are in there. And that, that sort of really helps get a lot of that money back and helps subsidize runs where you do that. If you've got Stargate out rather than the imps, then you can just use the Friday chips to sort of pump the virus counters onto one of the consumed there. It's a good setup if you can get it all out. I certainly wouldn't be able to guarantee that for every game. You know, a lot of the time you're missing some key stuff, but most of it kind of works with only some of it out if that makes sense mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need every single piece working for it to still to give you some value i love it okay and to pay lip service to the segment did you ever consider importing any atom cards or any sunny cards uh yes actually so i've got the two hq interfaces in there and for a while i was testing it with one of the atom directives it is that gives you neutralize all threats that's the one yeah but i mean it was only a one-off and it's an extra influence for being only sort of one hq interface so it was an interesting idea but i don't think it worked quite as well as hq interface which is a sentence i think i never thought i would ever say <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and to roll back you were on freedom yes no, uh, you Hoshi Oh, oh, yeah. I thought you were on Freedom for some reason. That was that was the second place finisher, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a very good deck in, in, in itself as well. You know. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, we're not trashing on second. No, not at all. <laughs> the Hoshiko draw. I have to imagine if you have a number of pieces and you're trying to draw to these two consumes because both of them are good for you. God, that's still. I I love the fact that that's true. Yeah, the good might be a slightly strong word. They're they're okay for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. The fact that we actually have a world champion on our show, it's way more upper crust than we're used to. You're killing me over here, Pants. Well, yeah, uh, did I say something? No, <laughs> but it is time for baking up Think Loaves. Oh, weird how that always happens after you like get exasperated with me. Yeah, we'll get into it later. Anyway, today, the Think Loaf, and we do have a bonus loaf, but we can get into that later. But the main Think Loaf is for Limes. We figure, mm -hmm. Limes, we have you on. We better take advantage. And the Think Loaf for you is, what was it like winning Worlds? How did you feel after that game ended? Oh, God. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I'd never really kind of expected to make it that far. It was the first kind of tournament that I'd made it to the cut in. So I had to kind of get some of my Colorado friends to kind of explain how a cut works and that sort of thing. But uh, to go the entire way was fantastic. That's so sick. I love that. First time you've made the cut, you become the world champion. Literally, you can't draw it up better than that. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. It's amazing. And also, it's amazing you saying, cut, how do? Like, right. <laughs> I don't know how the cut works, and I made it. And then, oh, I, I just happened to win. I guess I hadn't really uh, thought it was something that I needed to know up until that point. So, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that brings up an interesting question, right? Because you were in what I think is the most interesting situation in the cut, which is you win in winner's finals, and you are now sitting in grand finals, you get to watch Toby play Ian. You get to watch 
Toby play Aaron. And you're just waiting for these games to finish and waiting to see like who's going to play you. What was that experience like? That is, in uh, fact, was... one of the bonus loafs. I mean, it was pretty nerve-wracking. I did a certain amount of pacing in my apartment here. The Colorado crew were fantastic. We played some Pictionary, just did something that wasn't Netrunner. Nice. And yeah, kind of kept an eye on how those games were going. You know, really good games. Agreed. Fantastic so, being played. Agreed. Those games were pretty amazing. Was there anyone you were worried about while those games were happening? Were you looking at any of the decks and thinking like, oh man, that's I really don't want to face them? I mean, I was looking at TF-34's decks and really not wanting to face them, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think I'm particularly good at countering CTM. It's something that I don't find particularly easy to do. So it wasn't a huge surprise where he managed to absolutely destroy me in the first game. The second one was still not a particularly good matchup. Freedom's ability to trash things really plays havoc with needing to keep archive memories in hand and Game Changer and you know, some of the other combo pieces. So that was a real concern. But they played fantastically well. So, yeah. yeah. Agreed. Again, this is kind of like exactly how you would draw it up. The person that you're most worried about is who you end up facing. And <laughs> right. they're going to make a movie about this, like in 30 years when Nisei becomes the new Disney, which is the thing <laughs> that I did not expect to say when I started today. Wouldn't you want it as more of like a fighting series, you know, more of a Rocky? Like... Actually, yeah. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. 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 I mean, we could have a montage with uh, limes just, you know, lifting, except instead of weights on either end of the bars, it's just like a bunch of limes. Yeah. <laughs> Part of this montage has to also be the Pictionary skills. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Playing Pictionary and then some Netrunner games and then doing some lifting. Okay. So that's enough with th that analogy. This is going nowhere. But Pants, mm -hmm. we're going to turn it into a bakery up in here. Ooh. So for the first time, we have a second bonus loaf. So we have three loaves so far. Mm -hmm. So hold on to your pants. But Ooh. the next bonus loaf here is, what were you thinking heading into Grand Finals? So you know who your opponent is. You've watched all those games. You've paced around. You've played Pictionary. You've gotten your mind off of it. Now your mind has to get back into it. As you're going into that first game, what are you thinking? God, I mean, that's a pretty interesting question. I... Um... There was a lot of kind of nerves, frankly. You know, there was a lot of, you know, feeling the pressure, as it were. I don't think I was particularly aware of, you know, the fact that Stream and all the people on that were watching it. It's a very interesting experience playing on JNet, which I imagine is very, very different from playing that sort of game if it were in real life. But yeah, I mean, I would, otherwise, I guess just pretty focused on a sort of rough game plan, trying to work out what I needed to do to attempt to win and uh, go from there. I'm curious, what were you thinking was your game plan? Against DTM, obviously the Malias are quite a kind of spicy include. So you want to avoid leaving uh, resources kind of out. The only resource I've got that is really a target is Liberated Account, but that's a huge hit if, if it lands properly. I think I wanted to try and win off Centrals a bit more than I actually played. I think some of the economy should probably have just been left on the table. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, rushing out behind a wraparound is something that I, yeah... <laughs> found it difficult to uh, counter. For what it's worth, I think that you still played that game pretty well, at least better than either one of us could have. Anyway, speaking of that then, so TF pulls it out, gets that win, takes you all the way to the grandest of grand finals. Grand final and, for reals this time. Yeah, and so this brings us to our fourth loaf here, the last bonus loaf, I think. I'm worried we have loaf hyperinflation right now. I'm worried about the market. You can never have too many Think Loaves. It's the bestest of foods and extremely healthy for you. Remember, Netrunner has run in the name. These are Netrunner calories. Just a fact. 
Anyway, this bonus loaf, this next question is, okay, so you're going into game two, and you've just lost, and this is for all the marbles. Were you worried, and what were you thinking going into game two? I mean, uh, yes, I was absolutely worried. I think, as I say, Freedom has a really good means of countering some of the worst things that that deck can do. If you hit the game changes, which obviously TF34 did do, then the archive memories is suddenly very vulnerable to freedom's idea ability so that's a huge concern and obviously there isn't really much of a way to defend against that aside from holding a lot of cards in hand with so few ice but i think i've said before i'm actually a huge fan of the deck kind of archetype i'm not sure it's all that good for the game that it's quite as powerful as it perhaps is i certainly don't mean that as any criticism of Foucault's original idea they're an absolute genius for having come up with the concept and made it work in the first place. But there is a certain amount of, I guess, randomness to the deck. You know, if the runner manages to find some of those Project Vacherons early, then there's not really a whole lot the court can do. And they don't, and they instead find a whole bunch of one-pointers, then there's really not a whole lot that the runner can do. So from that perspective, it's not a hugely sort of interactive deck. There's a certain amount of RNG-ness to it. And yeah, so I guess going into that, that, that was the kind of thinking, that was the kind of concern. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. So you say that it basically comes down to like RNG and accesses and what they grab and everything, but is there any sort of things that you do do or suggest in playing that deck that you think helped you pull out a win? That's an interesting question. I think holding a lot of cards in hand to defend those three combo pieces is a reasonably good idea. I think trying to keep an eye on the pace at which the runner is stealing those one-pointers is quite a good idea. You need to certainly have an idea of how many you need in order to be able to combo out. Uh, what else? So I think that the final turn there, I didn't have all of those combo bits in hand. So it was a certain amount of gambling and hoping that I draw them with fast break as well, which could have gone either way, to be honest. There were still quite a few hot cards in R&D, but I think I was sort of forced to do that at about that point because TF34 had done a reasonably good job of stealing things in the right sort of pace. Yeah, that seems to make sense. For what it's worth, just watching the game, it did actually seem to be more interesting than I think you're letting on. Just because of what you're saying, the freedom ability and TF getting the right accesses at certain points, it actually did turn out to be reasonably exciting. But okay, enough of this good stuff. This is Slump's Cast. We have to ask you about the strange and the questionable. We have to ask you about things that didn't go quite right. In essence, we have to ask... Why would you do that? What we're asking about is, what were your bad beats and bad decisions? Now, obviously, we know that you won most of your games on the weekend. We're wanting to know if there were any bad beats or bad calls that you made in Swiss. And then, in the cut, were there any bad beats or bad calls that almost led to losses? In the cut especially, it's hard for us to ask like, oh, what were your game-losing decisions because th th there was only one game that you lost? In the cuts, there was one game against, I'm afraid I forget which one, one of the, the Titans I played in either the first round or the second round, I forget exactly which one it was, came down to the Corp had about four or five cards left in R&D, which is already a pretty terrible place for Titan to be, to be in. They install something in a remote server just after I trash biotic labor with an encounter. I'm thinking, now, do I try and run this or do I attempt to do a slightly more bizarre play of installing Stargate over all of my imps and try and win off Stargate? Yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did run the, run the server. In the, I mean, I had the, the remote server locked down. It shouldn't even have been a 
you know, a, a decision that I was thinking about. I, I was absolutely at the point where I needed to check every remote. And it turned out to be the winning Atlas. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that would have gone very differently, I think, if I'd uh, left things up to a Stargate run at the end. Anything in particular in, like, the Swiss? Did you drop any games in the Swiss? My record was, so I swept round one, split rounds two, three, and four. And then round five, I actually played you. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I think now's a good time to actually ask the intro question. Josh, how many world champions did we play at Worlds this year? Well, Pants, I don't know. I know. I actually think I know the answer for both of us. Really? Yeah. Do tell. I know that mine is one. I actually ended up playing Jens, which I only realized after the fact. Oh, my God. Yeah. I played Jens as well. In that case, I didn't know the answer for you. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out I had forgotten, but I also played Limes. So our answer is we played three world champions. But also kind of two. But also kind of two. <laughs> yeah, so we have to go to the specific moment we realize this because we have to dunk on you for this, Josh. The three of us were having a quick chat for episode four of this podcast, uh, just a quick one. And in the chat after we recorded the short segment, I don't remember exactly how it came up. I think, Rich, you said something along the lines of, well, actually, I played you in the Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> I think I offered a two for one, too. But he yes. ended up sweeping anyway. The, the way it worked out, you asked me in, in round five of the Swiss whether I wanted to do a, a two for one. And I'd just come off. So I swept round one and then split rounds two, three, and four. So I was thinking, eh, my chances are not great. So I say no to the two for one because, quote, I'm probably not going to make it into the cut and just want to get as many wins as I can for prizes. Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> See, I was actually in a slightly better position because I, like, swept, swept, and then split, split, or something like that. So, like, I was doing pretty good up until then, and then... <laughs> I remember that game because I swept you. That was a kind of around the point that I sort of started thinking maybe I should try and get into the cut rather than just kind of get as many <laughs> wins as possible. So I, I two for one round six and seven. Oh, God. Oh, wow. That's awesome. But in, in my humble opinion, the single biggest power move that you can pull in a Netrunner tournament is refusing a two for one and then winning most of the games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sorry <laughs> it's all right it's all right i i am merely okay at this game so well i mean up until that point i thought i was merely only okay at this game as well but i, I guess maybe I'm, I'm a bit better than i thought i was i don't know yeah i think that might be the case okay cool that was supposed to be the intro question we were supposed to do that like right after the intro of you oh, <laughs> oh okay I forgot to write it in the doc, so I forgot to mix say it. Mix it around a bit. Uh, <laughs> all right. No yeah, I'll, I'll mix it up. It'll be fine. We'll okay. fix it in post. Fix it in post. Um, Except we can't edit audio. It's immutable. Okay, so covered Swiss performance in the intro question. So I would definitely think that if you did, in fact, win Worlds, you made pretty good calls most of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So we knew this one was a little bit of a stretch. Thinking about trashing imps to install Stargate, I think that is about as good of a segue as we're going to get here. Let's talk about the decks themselves. That's right. It is time, once again, for Deck and Bamboozled. In this case, it is much more in the sense of your decks bamboozled other people rather than your decks bamboozled yourself, which is a new thing for Slums Cast, but we'll go with it. Tell us a little bit about the decks you played. Sure. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the Corp. Okay. So it's a big combo deck. You attempt to have as many of your one-pointer agendas as dull as possible and then do a big combo turn at the end. 
I've already talked a little bit about why I'm, I'm not yeah. a huge fan of the archetype, but putting some ice in there seemed like probably a good idea. Ice seems like a good concept. So yeah, Meridian seemed like the best choice there just because it synergizes really well with the game plan. So yeah, I guess, why did you choose that corp deck? So I'd done a, a reasonable amount of testing of my runner deck. I think that one was a lot more refined. And the, the way I'd done the testing was by playing random games on JNet Casual because you know, mm-hmm. say that's the best way of doing it. I'd encountered this type of deck, I can't remember exactly when, you know, a, a few months or so before the tournament itself. And I think despite having a reasonably good counter to the game plan with the imps in there, I don't think I'd ever beaten it, in fact. Wow. So it seemed <laughs> that's pretty a good. pretty strong endorsement. It's a very strong, very strong deck. When it gets going, it's nigh on impossible to beat. You can generate enough clicks just to manually purge through a bot if necessary. The Vacheron counters, they expire in about the same time as the Black File, so that wincon is the window as well. It's just a very good deck. Some part of it needs to be banned, I think, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I do have a question on this one. Okay. Because I am looking at one decision that could seem questionable if you don't have a explanation for it. I understand that there are cards in here that synergize with it, but I notice that you have one cheeky boom. Yes. And did you find that you needed that to make the news teams a threat, or is it just in there in case they keep tags? It's almost more in there to try and make them not take the tags. I didn't use it all day, all both days, but just the threat of it is enough, I think. A fair few people have played against this type of deck before, so I think certainly I encountered some people in the Swiss that were expecting boom in there. The tag punishment certainly could be perhaps reconsidered, but I'm not entirely sure how. Closed accounts isn't really much of a threat because you don't really care about whether the runner has money or not because you just want them to be stealing undefended agendas, so that's not a big problem. I guess you can trash resources, so uh, all-seeing eye isn't necessarily too much of a problem. The runner doesn't really have a lot of time to install 10 different things then because just because they're running all the time to keep up. Yeah, Yeah, the Um, only other things that I could think of would be like EOI or psychographics, and they don't really win the game like Boom does. So, One of the things that I love about the Boom is that you're already on Archived because it's so good for you. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As soon as you draw it, you know, just dump it in the trash and uh, yeah. Man, I love that. Just like turn boom into a triple, but you kill him. <laughs> I mean, it works. <laughs> Good, yeah. I have to imagine that if they see it early enough, it could really change the way that they play the game too. Just let you kind of like the, the agendas that are actually good for you to score. And maybe it gives you more of a window to install and score those. I think potentially, yeah. Um, I think the other thing that might change how people play it. I mean, as I say, several people have played that against that type of deck before. So the inclusion of just a little bit of ice kind of yeah. almost some, sometimes throws people off. You know, if you have a turn one where you install an ice, then they think, oh, you're not on this yeah. you know, iceless archetype. So <laughs> they spend time trying to find breakers and install them, and you know, yeah. that's all time wasted. Love it. Did anybody actually take the Meridians? Um, I think a few people did in the Swiss. I forget exactly. Doesn't okay. seem like a great move to take the Meridians. <laughs> yeah, so many real fake points in here. Yeah, interesting. So. God damn it, I had a follow-up question and I forgot it. Did this deck bamboozle you? Uh, Is that a question for me? <laughs> no, making fun no, of pants. I was, I, was, uh, I was trying to remember what the... Oh, yeah. So, I guess 
I don't know if it's exactly an elephant in the room, but I think one natural criticism of a deck like this, uh, and definitely the criticism that was levied at it when the cards in this deck first were spoiled in uh, Reign and Reverie, was how does it beat a data dealer? How does it beat an artist calling? Mm. Was that something you were worried about at all going into the weekend? No, because who plays that? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, so Gaper is probably the most likely to play one of those with things like Fansite and that sort of thing. But there's so few shapers in this meta at the moment. It's not really a huge concern. I expect we might see a few more data dealers and things going forward just to try and counter it until it becomes less popular and, or until the right parts of the deck are banned. I don't know. Yeah, no, that was obviously a great meta read. I actually did face a uh, data dealer Haley in round three, but I think it probably tells you a lot of why you didn't expect to see more of it, that they had two fan sites down on turn one, and I scored a Cyberdex sandbox on like turn three and still easily won. Nice. The UK Slack actually brought up Data Dealer and Artist Colony, and they were saying that they believe that you can find enough cuts in the stack that you could pack like 2x best defense Ooh. and the deck would still function. Because oh, both of those data dealers zero. Yeah, they both cost that's zero. Right. So oh, that's very good. Yeah, so I think Limes is right. If this deck is abusive to the game, then yeah. you probably don't wait on the meta to counter it. You probably ban yeah. something in it. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, because they're already cooking up ways to kill the hate. So <laughs> yeah, I mean the deck really should include some kind of Cyberdex Barrage Suite as well. So I mean I'm sure there are you know changes that can be made to it, and that that seems a very very good one to make. Yes, especially now that people kind of know yeah know about that. the deck. Yeah, interesting. So. What were you expecting to play the most? And I guess, what was your game plan to beat what you were expecting to play? So I guess, obviously, a lot of criminals. Leela is a concern. I guess what, you know, was a concern. Um, there isn't really a lot of change to the game plan on, on who you're playing. And I think that's kind of almost why the deck is not a good thing for the meta, because it, it's so uninteractive that it doesn't really matter who you're playing. That's a fair statement. You know, for me... I was on Polana, and Polana plays very differently against Lilo than it does against Hoshiko, than it does against Haley. And if you pretty much play the same against all three of those, then yeah, that, that right. might be a little bit of a warning sign. Right. I mean, there are a few very minor sort of differences. You know, obviously against Lilo, you have to worry about things being bounced back. So if you're scoring lots of one-pointers, that's going to happen quite a lot. But I mean, you're not worried about them bouncing agendas back to your hand because you want them to steal them. You're not worried about them bouncing... <laughs> news teams back to your hand because you want them to steal them. If, if you do have assets installed, they're likely to be rezzed anyway. So, and again, ice is really not something you are worried about not being present, obviously. Yeah, man. That extremely linear gameplay, definitely. I don't know. I imagine that actually must have been a little bit nice to be able to pilot it and not have to worry too much about pivoting what you had to do matchup to matchup. Exactly, exactly. It helped me uh, not think too hard about it in certain games, certainly. Yeah. And honestly, over the course of a long tournament, I think that's really helpful. Having a deck that kind of either because of a bunch of practice on it or because of what the game plan does, or in a case like this, both, just not having to think too hard about the exact mechanics of every decision, that's huge. It adds up. Absolutely. Over the day. I think the other big thing there is win or lose, it plays out very quickly. You know, Yeah. Games are rarely more than you know about 10 minutes or so long. So in every single round, both of the, the Swiss and the cut, you know, I had a good half an hour or so between matches to uh, decompress. Nice. 
Yeah, that's great. Especially on JNet where, you know, you're, you're probably just sitting on the couch or sitting at a desk for the entire time. I, I know I was. It's nice to have the time to get up, walk around, stretch your legs. You may not believe me, but a couple of CI combo lords told me once that that was the reason that they bring CI to tournaments. Like, it seems like it's a more complicated deck, but if you spend, like one of my buddies, Ajar, spent just nine months doing CI7 puzzles on Stimhack. And so he brought it to a regional and I think won it with CI7. He was like, well, I was just bringing fun decks and decks that don't change the game plan, you know, during each game. So you think CI7 is complicated, but if you know it in and out and the deck doesn't care what its opponent is doing, then there is something to be said for that mental load being taken off of you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've never really played in a meta where CI was a thing that much, but uh, yeah, I can, I can well believe it, certainly. CI7 was awful. Think your deck, but also it can combo through whatever hate you have. It does Ooh. not matter what hate you have. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. Yeah. It was pretty disgusting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, so... I didn't see a lot of play because it was, like, you had to study it. There was this uh, thing called the CI7 Cookbook, and it was this website that somebody put up online that was literally just going through like CI7 puzzles and how you combo out through certain types of hate. It was awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, you can still find it in the Wayback Machine if you want to <laughs> take a look. Uh, the site's not up anymore, unfortunately. Nice. Uh, okay. Did you decide to make any swaps? So you already talked about adding some ice to the deck. Did you decide to make any other swaps after you tested a little bit? And if so, what were they? A lot of it was just making room for the ice, really. So working out what to cut. I think Clacotta's original list, uh, Bass Chiriboga in there, which I ended up installing a lot and never really using. So mm -hmm. cut that. You know, I'm sure somebody uh, better than me might be able to uh, find a, a way to win even quicker with that. Mm. What else? So I cut one of the fast breaks. There were originally three of them. I was a bit worried about that choice. You really have to lean on that card if you don't have all of your combo pieces and you know, the runners' bash drawn counters are about to expire and they're about to win the game. There is a certain amount of just you know yelling YOLO and uh, drawing a bunch of cards and hoping you find the right one. If you draw them too early, they're not really things you want to dump too much and they just mm -hmm. kind of clog up your hands. So Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, so time check real quick. Do we want to go through the second deck in depth like this? I'm happy to, if y'all have the time. But I also want to be respectful of, of y'all's time. I mean, I'm not doing anything else this evening, so yeah, whatever. YOLO. Okay, cool. Let's do it then. <laughs> All right, awesome. So thanks for walking through your corp deck with us. Let's talk about the runner. So <laughs> the runner, as I say, I spent a lot more time tinkering with that one. And in fact, I actually uh, submitted the final deck list without actually testing some of the changes. Sitting in my car in the parking lot at work a couple of hours before the deadline, so I just kind of yellowed it again. <laughs> It's got a relatively simple, I guess, game plan. You'd want to try and trash all of the, the kind of key combo pieces or key cards that the corp is going to rely on. That's reasonably good against a variety of things. You can hit hard-hitting muses, you can hit you know, counter-strikes, you can hit agendas that are nasty to steal, that sort of thing. Yeah, and there was a lot of that going around. I mean, one of the most popular decks, Plamana, you nuke their Obakata, suddenly their game plan is so much worse than it used to be. I mean, that's true. I, I was a little worried, actually, about the meta pivoting towards that sort of Palana deck quite so much in the final few weeks or so, really, because it's not a particularly good matchup for the runner deck there. The deck relies on running a lot to keep that card draw up. If you're facing 
you know, three centrals that are all locked down and completely impregnable remote. And it's a big slowdown. There's no ice carver in the deck. So getting through some of those really expensive Jinteki big ice pieces like Anansi is very expensive. You know, it's nine credits to get through with MK Ultra. So not a great matchup for that runner. Although thankfully I, I managed to dodge a lot of those kinds of decks in the day. So I, I guess I got quite lucky there. That's the best way to beat your worst matchup is just don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Similar questions. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the Lana deck. What else were you expecting to play a lot? And uh, what was your game plan to beat this? So I was expecting to see a lot of Asa, like I think everyone else who played in the tournament. I was more confident about that kind of matchup. That was the kind of deck that I was sort of trying to think of when I was thinking about putting all of those imps in the deck, that sort of thing. It doesn't matter if Lakshmi Smart Fabrics, for example, shows you an agenda because you can just trash it rather than stealing it. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great, right? <laughs> they have to spend tempo getting it out there and you just say no. You have to install the one that's in hand and then you don't have it to Lakshmi. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the um, you know having a 10-card hand if you've got the cybernetics caught out is suddenly a bit reasonably worried about HQ interface, which I think was mm. one of the more questionable includes in the deck. It works quite well in that sort of situation. The economy is okay, but it's, it's not good enough to be sort of smashing HQ four times in a turn. So you want to be really maximizing the value you can get out of each run there. And I think that, yeah. that really helps with that. Yeah, and I think all of us playing these purple combo decks that have big hands, CI before this and then Asa now, HQ is oftentimes pretty loaded. So just upping the value of those already valuable accesses, if you know that you can't get quite as many of them, that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought about, you know, replacing it with something like Turning Wheel, but the problem there is that you need to spend time charging it up. And if, if Asa is going to win in about eight to 10 turns, then that doesn't give you a huge time window. True as well with Leela, who I had two turning wheels in, and there were a bunch of people that had Maker's Eye instead mm -hmm. and extra leg works. That was think, a way yeah, better call. That's the way to go, I think. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Interesting. So we talked about you kind of went through a, a fairly long process of testing and tweaking. And I guess, could you walk us through what were some of the tweaks that you made in the process of making this deck? As I say, there were, I thought about SMC rather than a second consume, try and find it faster. And that works okay. Real nice if you have stim hacks to maximize the value out of those with that. I did try turning wheel for a while. That worked okay. But, you know, as I say, there were some problems with uh, the amount of time it takes. I tried neutralize all threats once or twice, Ooh. which I uh, thought a lot cheaper to get out than an HQ interface, but it is one more influence. So that's uh, potentially a problem, especially if you It looks like I tried mache at one point, uh, which is a shaper card from Ren and Reverie. First time you trash an access card each turn, you may place power counters on Mache, each will equal to that card's trash cost, and then you can draw one card for every three counters, which was not good, don't you, Pat? Okay, <laughs> I was going to ask. I've never heard that card before. Tell me about it. I guess that's why. No, it's, it's not good. It's not good. So I think um, I, I did try Zero a lot, and I had some success with that. But if you're pitching cards to patchwork all the time and losing them through Zero, you can run through your deck quite quickly and perhaps yeah. a little too quickly sometimes. So yeah, I eventually cut that and thought that the draw was probably just about okay with the Shiko's ability. And so did we not mention this? Patchwork won Worlds. Patchwork did win Worlds. You're right, I forgot to mention that. As someone who played that card a lot in Max right after it came out, I love the fact that Patchwork won Worlds. Well, it's the what, second best console, so that's, that, it's got that going for it. <laughs> Is there a reason in particular you decided on Patchwork? 
Yeah, so, so the draw is quite good. So you can support it with the amount of cards that it needs to get good value out of. A lot of the rig that you need, and you know, it is quite a quite a large rig with all of the you know consumes and product chips and imps and all of that sort of thing. Uh, most of those pieces are two to install, mm-hmm. so they're free if you use Patchwork. But a lot of it is just support for some of the slightly more expensive pieces, like HQ interface. You don't really ever want to be spending four credits to install that, so so don't. You brought up it's the second best Anarch console. What's the best? Oh, turntable definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think I agree with you there, but if you're in the situation where just you need the money, I mean, Patrick gives you money. I think Absolutely. it's easy to underestimate how much money Patrick gives you. It's a lot closer than people necessarily give it credit for. Yeah. It isn't exactly Blue Moose, but it approaches it. It certainly approaches it. I think people also just really hate losing to Atlas counters. As someone who lost to Atlas counters this weekend, I hate losing to Atlas counters. So for this deck, would you change anything about this deck if you had to do it again? Did anything not pull its weight over the course of the weekend? I mean, that's an interesting question. I got to a point where I was pretty happy with almost all of it. I would probably want to try and find a slot for Ice Carver just to, to really help him match up against some of those Jinteki Glacier type decks because it's so expensive getting through some of those mm-hmm. pieces. The question of what I would cut is a slightly different one. I'm not entirely sure what I would cut, to be honest. It might have to be one of the imps, to be honest, as much as mm. three imps is a fun kind of meme sort of doing, two is possibly better. There's only three in there to help you find them quicker. Yeah, cool. You have it here, Internet. If you want to play this deck and you're thinking of, I should change a few cards just so I can publish it on NRDB after I win a GNK, you can't use that cut because it's already been published here. Okay, so we have your takes on overall decks, but we have to ask now about a specific card. That brings us to ban. Or nap. Game changer. All right, lines, go. Ban or nap? Ban. Pants, go. Ban. Ban. Ban, definitely. Agreed. It's consensus. On to the next segment. So this next segment is called Bad Card of the Week That's Still Bad and You Shouldn't Play It. Limes, you get to choose. I guess I'm going to go for something different. I'm sorry, don't play that. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> Even if you're on some kind of pawn shop type deck, there are better things that people don't really ever think about. So Ice Amalizer is much better in a Aesop's deck than Fansite, in my opinion. You can get extra credits out of that in a way that you can't really ever do with Fansite. I love it. These are the spicy takes we come here for. I did play Fansite back in the day, mostly in testing when I was playing Haley decks, and Fansite was really good when you had shit and it could be an indexing. <laughs> But it can't yeah. be an indexing anymore. I can see. It. I mean, if you're only using it for Aesop's fodder, then it, it is quite bad. If you're doing it for other reasons, then you know, I suppose the original intended purpose, I suppose it is better. But clearly, there's nothing in the meta that would force you to need to do that thing. So of course not. No. <laughs> Absolutely right, but, though. Like Fansite doesn't really do anything by itself, and its best use case, which was being food for recurring broken cards at no cost. Is banned now, or rotated, rather. I like to think of it as being banned, even though it was never officially put on the list. Yeah, it should have been. It's a card that's an abomination. A reminder, as always, to our listeners, this podcast is not weekly, but this particular bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it is specific to this week. And that brings us to closing arguments. This one's for you, Vibes. Let's say you are in charge of the MWL the card pool, and the tournament rules, and you can make exactly one change. What would it be? 
Please note, spicy uh, takes are not only welcome, but encouraged. I'm not sure my take is particularly spicy. I think Game Changer needs to be banned. Got it. We got double votes on banning Game Changer this episode. Nisei, please, please make it happen. Yeah, I think that carries a lot of weight right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's going to happen. We talked about one of the ultimate Netrunner power moves earlier, which is refusing a two-for-one and then winning both games. I might actually have to change my stance. Winning worlds with a card and then saying that that card should be banned might be the ultimate Netrunner power move. (laughs) I can't disagree. I love it. (laughs) All right, and that brings us to the end of our episode. Special thanks this episode. Limes, Rich, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. Thank you. you I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here and and taking the time with memes and jokes and, yes, genuine good conversation, but but mostly memes. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's been fun. Thank you. Congrats again, and thank you for sharing some genuine good Netrunner advice and some genuine good Netrunner takes with us. And possibly some questionable takes, too. That's on brand for us, so that's okay. Are there any shout-outs you'd like to give while you're on here? I just want to say hi to all of the Colorado Netrunner crew. Your support was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, yeah, I love all of you. Thanks. I love that. A feel-good story from this world, playing Pictionary to fuel the world champion. That's, I love it. Uh, Again, straight out of the storybook movie. Thanks again, Limes. Thank you. I should probably actually do the follow us here. A reminder to our listeners, as always, please follow us. We need the follows. You can follow us in just about every major podcast outlet, except Apple Podcasts right now, I believe, unless that has changed by the time you listen to this episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact us on StimSlack or on Twitter. Our handles are included in the show notes for this episode. Everyone have a good week. Is Steve Jobs still not replying to your emails? Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that Steve Jobs has or has not replied to my emails or not emails.